Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be reading from the verse for, from the first verse down to the eighth verse, okay? Isaiah chapter 6, and we are going to read verses 1 through 8. If you're ready, here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. The seraphims is an angel, okay? Each one had six wings. With two wings, he covered his face. With two wings, he covered his feet. And with two wings, he did fly. And one cried out unto the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5. Then I said, this is Isaiah talking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I, I like how Isaiah doesn't just say, Hey, look, man, I, I'm guilty. He goes on to just railroad everybody with him. He goes, And I, do, I live with a whole bunch of people that are unclean too. Anyway, he says, he says, and I live in the midst of people who also have unclean lips. He goes on to say, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one angel flew unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Last verse. All right. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that God has put on my heart for today. And it is simply titled, Reset Your Vision. Reset your vision. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we thank you for the moments that we've shared together. We're thankful, God, for the worship that's already gone forward today. And God, now as we enter into your word, I just pray, Father, that you would speak to us wherever we're watching from, however we're watching. I pray, Father, that as I speak, that you would do a work in the hearts of all those that are watching, that you would do something far greater than my words could ever do, that you would do something, Father, that would point back to it having to be your hand, that it would have to have been a God thing. We open up our hearts and our minds to receive you. In your precious name we pray, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, do y'all remember at the end of 2019, when we were all looking forward to 2020. How y'all remember that? I mean, we got to the end of 2019 and we were so looking forward to 2020. 2020, it comes to us and it gives us this perfect numerical opportunity. We called it the year of vision, right? And everybody was saying, oh, this is going to be my best year ever, 2020. And I'm going to have a fresh vision for my life and all the dreams and the aspirations that I wanted to do. I mean, it's all 
all going to happen in 2020. I mean, all the prophets were prophesying and the pastors were declaring. And listen, if I'm being honest, I thought the same thing too. I thought, you know, this is going to be the year because it's 2020. It's the year of vision. And then March rolls around, right? And then everything goes into lockdown mode. And uh, they said, hey, just give us, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. And here we are going on a year now, and we're still working on that curve. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but that's just the reality. We had all these aspirations for 2020, and then we're dealing with COVID-19. We're dealing with uncertainty at our kids' school. Uh, Many of you have had to become a stay-at-home teacher and you're teaching your child. Some of you might have experienced job loss. Those of you that might have already been dealing with, uh, you know, some sort of mental illness, it was amplified during this time. 2020 was absolutely crazy. And, and, and while we entered into it so hopeful, we, we, we hit something um, and, and, and we experienced something that we would never want to live through again. Can I get a good amen on that? I hope to never live through something like that again. Now, although it was the worst of times, for some people, it was the best of times. Here's what I mean by that. I was reading on the Forbes list that in 2020, there were 44 brand new American billionaires produced in 2020. You see, the pandemic didn't hit everybody. If you look at a global scale, there were 178 new billionaires just globally. So, so how is it that we can be going through this painful year and, and Tesla and Microsoft and Amazon and Zoom, you, you see some corporations and owners all of a sudden flourish in a season where people are struggling. And, and I got to thinking, and what I really want to talk to you about and what I really want to lean in in today is why I believe they were able to succeed during a famine. They were able to succeed during a crisis. Why some people ascended even in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I don't have a silver bullet for you, okay? I'm not going to give you, this is the one thing you got to do. I think it's several things that had to line up for each of these people. But, but can I give you one thing that I am most sure of and something that you can take with your life as we now move forward into 2021? It is simply this, vision. I believe that these people that experienced growth in 2020, they had a vision. I believe these people that had an upward trajectory when a lot of people were suffering, it all came down to vision. And if we can get a hold of this vision thing, if we can grasp this vision thing, I think it'll help us succeed in 2021 and in the years to come. So let's go to Isaiah chapter six and let's kick this off because when we get to Isaiah chapter six, this is what's happening. Isaiah is having a vision. Now, let me tell you who Isaiah was. Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, not to hit you with too much information, but at this point in time in Israel's history, it was divided. There was the northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. Isaiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom or what we also call Judah. Now, not only is Isaiah a prophet, but he's a priest. 
That's why he has this vision in the temple. When he's in the temple, he has this sudden vision that we're going to unpack right now. But he's able to have this vision because he's in the temple as a priest. Not all prophets were priests. I mean, you go to the New Testament, John the Baptist, who Jesus called a prophet, this guy hung out in the wilderness. All right. So the difference is, is that Isaiah was not just a prophet, but he was also a priest. Beyond that, check out your boy Isaiah. Okay. Isaiah's wife, she was a prophetess. Okay, you know, there was a lot of drip in his house when not only is the man of the house a prophet, but the woman of the house is a prophetess. Can you just imagine their kid for a second? I mean, what does your dad do? He's a prophet. What does your mom do? She's a prophetess. I bet you he never got into any trouble because they give him a word before he even sent. Anyway, I'm just rambling on. But uh, but you know what else we know about Isaiah? Here's what we know about Isaiah. He has mastery of the Hebrew language because when he wrote his book, when, when this prophecy, when this prophetic book is written, you know, we've got other prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. And, uh, but, but Isaiah, I mean, he writes with mastery of the Hebrew language. It lets us know that this was not just a prophet, not just a priest, not just married to a prophetess, but this was a smart man. He was a very smart man. He was a very learned man. And this is who Isaiah is when he suddenly gets this heavenly vision. Now, this vision would precede the calling on his life, but he got a vision of God. And what I want for you to do is I want you to have a vision for your life as well. And there's a reason for that. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. The reason I believe people are able to succeed even during hard times is they have a vision for their life. They have a vision for their life. When you don't have a vision, let's read it now from the New Living Translation because that, 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 well, I learned it, you know, the people are going to perish where there's no vision. That, that, that's heavy. So let's, let's read that from the New Living. It says like this, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. They absolutely run wild. And that's what happens when you don't have a vision for your life. When you don't have a vision for your life, something like a pandemic could cause you to run wild. Something like a pandemic could cause you to lose yourself. Something like a pandemic can cause your home to fall apart. And we've heard about that, right? I'm a pastor. I've heard of other pastors that had to give up their churches because they couldn't get through a pandemic. Well, I thought they were leading incredible ministries. Sure. But did they have a vision for their life? Did they have a vision that was guiding them even in the middle of a crisis? This is why you've got to have a vision for your life because no matter what comes and hits you, when you've got a vision, it keeps you on that path. When you've got a vision for your life, things don't get in the way of what God is trying to do in you and through you. When you've got a vision for your life, here's what happens. When you have a vision for your life, you have clarity about where you are going. How many want clarity? Clarity is a good thing. You know what I like in not having clarity too? Walking through your house at night with all the lights off. Now, if you're single and you don't have any siblings, uh, little kids, or you don't have any children, this is like nothing to you. But for me, I don't dare walk through my kids' rooms at night with the light off. I will step on a Lego. I will trip over a gujitsu, or something will just attack me. I don't know what it is, but my kids' stuff is just all over the room. And, and, and that's just an analogy of life. When you don't have clarity, you can trip up very easily in your life. And so Isaiah 
had this vision. And, and, and I want you to learn from his vision because here's the first thing that happened. And, and, and framing a vision for your life has to follow this blueprint because what I do see here in this text is a blueprint for a godly vision for your life. And I, and I want to clarify that, okay? Because it's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing to have a godly vision. Amen. It's one thing to have a vision for your life. It's another thing for you to have a vision that God is actually pleased with. Ah, you see, some of you want a vision for your life and it involves a bigger house and more cars and, and maybe it doesn't even involve your spouse. Oh my God. Anyway, um, some of you have a vision for your life and it's not what God wants for you. But there are some basic ingredients to having a godly vision for your life that if you can get these things right, you'll see God bless every area of your life. You'll see God order your steps. You'll see him direct your path. So it's not enough just to have vision, but you have to have a godly vision. You have to have a vision that involves God in every affair of your life. And so here's what happens. Isaiah has a vision. And the first thing that he sees is he sees a throne. He sees the throne and he sees God sitting on the throne. Now, don't sleep on that. You might think for you might think for a moment, well, what's the big deal? He just saw a throne. Here's the deal. Not everyone believes the throne exists. Okay? Not everyone believes that there is a throne. But we see all throughout the Bible that there is a throne and God is seated on the throne. There were people that saw this by the name of Micah, the prophet, Job, David, Ezekiel the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, and Daniel the prophet. So this vision that Isaiah had, he says, I saw a throne. And that's important because here's the deal. The atheist doesn't believe that a throne exists. The materialist doesn't believe that a throne exists. And the humanist believes that there's a throne, but God doesn't sit on it. A man or a woman sits on a throne. So don't take for granted what Isaiah is saying right here, because there are many people, maybe you have some family, some coworkers, maybe you're sitting next to that person who's wondering, is there even a throne? Does a throne even exist? But Psalm 14:1 says this, a fool has said in their heart that there is no God. So a godly vision begins with acknowledging first and foremost that there is a throne and God is seated on that throne. What that is simply saying is the throne represents that there is truth. The throne represents that truth can be known. The throne represents that truth is not subjective. Because here's the danger. When you think there is no throne, what you are saying is there is no ultimate truth in this world. There is no ultimate authority in this life. When you say to yourself, there is no throne, what you are saying is everything is subjective. And I know in this culture that we're living in, it's really hip and it's very cool and it's very culture to say, baby, just live your own truth. Here's the problem. You can live your own truth, but if your truth does not line up with the fact that there is a God sitting up in heaven, your truth is a lie. Your truth could be a lie if it doesn't acknowledge first and foremost that there is a throne and there is one who sits on that throne. And coming out of that throne is virtue. Coming out of that throne is his might. And coming out of that throne is his sovereignty. You've got to get this. We are living in a countercultural era where they want to say, oh, you believe in God? That's cute. That's nice. You just keep that to yourself. 
We are living in a world now where they are trying to sanitize what you believe. There, we are living in a generation now. They say, oh, 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 you, you believe in Christianity? Fine. I believe in this and all roads lead to the same place. That can't be further from the truth. There is one throne in heaven and there is one God who is seated on that throne. And if you don't believe in that God, baby, I'm telling you right now, you're not getting there. You have got to acknowledge that there is one throne and God is seated on that throne. The beginning of a godly vision begins with acknowledging that God is seated on his throne. And because he is seated on the throne, there is truth that I have to tap into. You got to get that. You got to get that truth is not relative. Truth is not subjective. And what I love about truth is truth, truth trumps over facts. Truth trumps over facts. What do you mean by that, Pastor Josh? Truth can look at sickness in the eyes and say, I acknowledge that I'm sick, but truth says that God is a healer and I can appeal to a higher source. And though the medical report says that I don't have any more time, and though the medical report says there's only hours left to live, truth says that I can receive miraculous, instantaneous healing because God is seated on the throne and that throne is greater than my sickness. God is seated on that throne and that throne is greater than all of my problems. God is seated on that throne and that throne, out of that throne flows all of the godly virtues that I ascribe to in my life. So if you want to have a godly vision in your life, first and foremost, you have got to acknowledge that there is a throne that ought to lead you to prayer, that ought to lead you to a relationship, that ought to lead you to want to know truth because truth can be known. It's not subjective and it's not whatever you want. It's, it's, I'm sorry, but it's just not that. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so he said, yeah, you have access to this throne, but it's through me. It's through me. And when you get that, that's the beginning of godly vision. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. Here's what happens next. He says, I saw a throne and I saw God who sat on that throne. But then he goes on to say, and his throne was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. His throne was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Not only do you have to see that there is a throne, but you have got to see that that throne is high and lifted up. Okay. You, you, you have got to see that throne as above everything and anything in this life. Here's what I mean by that. There are many people that believe that God is a thing, but they don't believe that he is the thing. And there's a difference. A lot of people that say, you know, I believe in God. I'm just not a spiritual person. I believe in God, but I'm not just a religious person. And we treat God and we treat Sundays as equal with our yoga class during the week. We treat God and we treat our relationship as equal with our kids' sporting teams. We treat God and we treat our relationship with him as equal with all of these other things in life. And I've met people like that. They treat Christianity as something that you've got to do. This is the box that I check on Sunday. And then on Monday, I do this. And on Tuesday, I do this. And I'm part of the Kiwanis and I'm part of the Rotary. And I do all of this. And all those things make me a good person. And so God is a thing, but he's not the thing. He is a thing, but he is not the thing. But here's the problem with that. The way that you perceive God shapes your worldview. 
I'm going to unpack that. The way that you perceive God, it shapes your worldview. Because there's a lot of woke Christians right now that are more concerned about offending their neighbor than they are offending God. We've gotten so politically correct that we don't mind if we offend God. I just don't want to offend my classmates. I just don't want to offend my teacher. I just don't want to offend my neighbor. And listen, I'm not saying to go and be a politically incorrect person. I'm not saying to go and be rude and to be nasty. I'm not saying all of that. But there is a problem when we are so easy to offend God and we are so slow to offend other people. We, there is a problem when we prioritize the way we make other people feel over how we make God feel. That's a problem. When God is high and lifted up, you care more about what he thinks than what your neighbor thinks. And following Jesus isn't going to make everyone around you happy. Listen, if you wanted to make everyone happy in life, stop being a Christian and start selling ice cream. But the fact of the matter is, is that as a Christian, there will be times that you make decisions that other people won't understand. You're going to make a decision and people are going to think you are crazy. You're going to make a decision and people are going to wonder why in the world would you do that? I remember my coworker one time I was talking to them and I was telling them about tithing. And she said, wait a second, you give 10% of all your income to the church? I said, yes, I do. And she said, how stupid are you to do that? And I said, I'm sorry. You know, you don't have to like me, but this is what I do out of a relationship with God. And I'm more concerned about pleasing him than, than, than affirming your feelings. <laughs> and we got a lot of woke Christians. We got a lot of woke Christians who could care less about offending God. Listen, we got a lot of Christians that know more about the latest social issue than they know about their Bible. And I've got a problem with that. And not just me, but I think God's got a problem with that. I'm not saying that you put walls up and act like these social issues don't exist, but there is a problem when those social issues seem to be on par with God. And I've got a problem with Christians who would much easier, much have a much easier time offending God than they do offending their neighbor. That's a problem. That, that's, that's not the right worldview that you need to have. You see, your politics should not be informing your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus should be informing your politics. No ideology should shape your, your, your theology. Your theology should be informing whatever ideology is coming out. Because culture changes. I mean, culture's constantly changing, and there's fads, and there's movements, and even the way that we talk. I can't even keep up with the latest fad and the slang. And just tonight at dinner, my son said something, and my wife said, Jaden, I don't like it when you say that you sound like a thug. I was like, well, that's just kind of the slang, babe. That's just how it goes. You know, you got to go to Urban Dictionary. It ain't that bad of a word, you know. Anyway, um, but, but culture is constantly changing. And, and when you don't have the right, if you don't have the right view of God, if you don't perceive him in the right place, if you don't get that right, it's going to affect everything else around you. And therefore, it's going to affect your vision. You hearing what I'm saying? It is going to affect your vision when you don't have God seated high and lifted up above everything else in your life. The problem is God exists in your life, but he's not high and lifted up. The problem is God exists in your life, but you only fit him into your day when you have room. The problem is God exists in your life, but you've compartmentalized him to a one hour experience on Sunday. And that's the extent of it. Isaiah said, I saw God. I saw him high and lifted up. I saw him high and lifted up. You know, I think about for a moment 
when I lost my grandma, I talked about the pain of 2020 and, and I personally endured a, a very difficult pain in the month of July when my grandmother transitioned from earth into heaven. And uh, my grandma passed quickly. She passed because of this virus. It, it happened so suddenly, so suddenly. So I, I empathize and I understand just how dangerous this virus can be. That's why be careful when you say, well, less than 1% of people. I, I get that. But when it's your grandma, you don't want to hear that stat. Okay. So I get it. When my grandma passed, don't tell me, you know, it doesn't really affect. I understand. You got to empathize with people because some people have experienced real loss. Okay. Maybe you haven't and I'm glad for that, but I've experienced real loss. But, uh, here, here's, here's one thing though, that I was able to pull through because I have the right worldview. My theology is informing my earthly experience. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13 and 14. Let me read it to you. It says, and now brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died. So you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. So Paul is saying, look, let me talk to you about what happens when your friends or your family or your loved ones die, because I don't want you to mourn like those who don't have hope. I don't want you to mourn like those who don't have the right world view. He goes on to say, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all of the Christians who have died. So when I lost my grandmother, was it painful? Absolutely. But was I able to also rejoice? Yes, I was able to rejoice because I know she is in a new place. I know that she is in a new home. I know that she is reunited with my grandfather. And listen, this is how my theology informs and shapes my worldview. When you don't have Christ, think about this for a second. When you don't have Christ, when there is no throne and God is not seated on it, here's the danger of that. When someone dies in your family, death won. When you don't have Christ and you don't have the hope of heaven and someone died due to COVID-19, COVID-19 won. But here's the deal. Because I have hope and because God is seated on the throne, I know that COVID-19 did not win. And I know that death did not win because COVID-19 doesn't exist in heaven. Because death does not exist in heaven. Because pain and suffering and sorrow, none of that exists in heaven. I am able to allow my worldview to be shaped by the word of God. And it's not the other way around. But a vision for your life begins with understanding that there is a throne, that God is seated on that throne. And not only is he seated on that throne, but he is high and he is lifted up. And then Isaiah, when he saw that God was high and lifted up, here's what he said of himself. Let me read it back to you. We read this, but let me read it back to you. Isaiah said this, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Look at what Isaiah said. When I saw God, and I put him in the right place. You see, you got to see him high and lifted up. You got to put him in the right place. Isaiah all of a sudden said, I'm about to die here. He said, I'm, when he said, woe is me and I am undone. He's saying, I, I should be dead right now. <laughs> it's like what God told Moses when Moses said, God, I want to see you. And God said, no one can see me and live. You can't look at my glory and live. And then Isaiah had that moment. He's like, I should die right now. <laughs> Remember, what did I say about Isaiah? Prophet. 
priest, master of the Hebrew language. His, his, his wife was a prophetess. I mean, if there was anyone that can hold a little bit of cred in the presence of God Almighty, it was Isaiah. Isaiah saw God's glory. He was like, man, I should just die right now. I'm not even worthy to receive any of this. And, and, and this, this is the point that I need you to get. And this is something that we've lost in the church, okay? Isaiah saw himself low in the presence of God. And you're thinking, pastor, I don't want to see myself low. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of the most high. I am blessed and highly favored. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But that's because of what God said you are, not because of who you are. No, 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 no. There's a difference. We come to him in our brokenness and we come to him in our firmity and we come to him not worthy to be in his presence. And he says we're worthy. But if you strip all that away and get a proper perspective of who you are, you got to understand that in his presence, we should be afraid. In the Old Testament, they said it this way. There was a fear of the Lord. How many remember the church would talk about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. I grew up thinking, I don't want to be afraid of God. I want him to be the loving God. I want New Testament Jesus. I don't want Old Testament God. Old Testament God was mean. He killed a lot of people. New Testament Jesus, he was cool. I want to hang out with him. And, and, and a lot of us forget that the fear of the Lord is important. Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talks about it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There's another Proverbs that says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to be wise in 2021, you better begin by having a proper amount of the fear of the Lord in your life. And this is what happened with Isaiah. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, he put him in the right perspective. He wasn't bowing down to culture. He wasn't bowing down to the social issues of his day. He wasn't bowing down to whatever fad, anything else that was popular in that moment. Isaiah said, I'm undone in your presence. And what he was basically saying is, I can't do this on my own. That's what it means to... Trust in the Lord with all your heart. A healthy amount of fear will keep you coming back to God and saying, God, I can't do this without you. And God, I don't want to do this without you. You want to know where destruction comes? Destruction comes when you begin to think you can do it without God. You begin to trip up and you begin to make mistakes when you remove God from the equation. One of the things that 2020 did is it shook up the church. I told someone the other day in 2020, God didn't say Hey, church, give me the keys. Let me drive. God said, I'm taking the keys and I'm driving this thing. And I'm glad that he did. Not every church survived 2020. Not every pastor survived 2020. And what I saw God doing to the church was he was pruning the church. There was a lot of people that were drunk off of their own ego. There were a lot of people that were nauseated off of their own performance and achievement. And God said, oh, you think you can do this without me? Why don't I just expose some things that have been happening? Why don't I just allow some things to come to light? And I'm not trying to, to, to rein in on anyone's parade. But what I'm telling you is, is when you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord, that's what happens. When you don't have a healthy fear and reverence for the presence of God, you began to miss out on all the things that God wants to do in you and through you. Dr. Darius Daniels said this. He said this earlier when I was listening to a podcast. I was in the middle of riding my bike and listening to a podcast. When he said it, I wanted to pull over on the side of the road and have an altar call and speak in tongues. I kid you not. Dr. Darius Daniels said this. He said, favor flies low. You want the favor of God in your life? You've got to stay low. 
You, got, you can't be puffed up. You can't think more of yourself than you should. Favor flies low. And when you're flying low in life, I know that's a figure of speech, but do you understand what I'm saying, Lighthouse Church? When, when you live with a healthy amount of humbleness, a healthy amount of humility, God's favor will find you and he will elevate you and he will use you. It's always the low person, right? Where was David when God anointed him to be the king of Israel? Watching the sheep. He was flying low when the favor of the Lord found him. Where was Gideon when God called him and said, you're going to be a mighty man of valor? Gideon was hiding behind the wine press because favor follows, the, favor flies low and it's all throughout the Bible. You want the favor of God in your 2021? Get a healthy vision of God for your life. Get a godly vision for your life. And it begins with acknowledging that there is a throne. God is sitting on that throne. That throne is high and lifted up. And me, I'm low. I'm low. Let me come to a close now. Isaiah verses 9 through 11 of the same chapter. I didn't read it because I'm saving it for now. And I, I want to read to you exactly what happens because we left it off in verse 8 where Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Because I haven't talked to you about Isaiah's calling yet. I've only talked to you about the vision for his life. And here's what happens. Let me read verse 9 of Isaiah through 11. And God says to Isaiah, he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. This is crazy. You're like, I don't even understand what he said, Pastor Josh. That old English, yeah, that's right. He did have mastery of the Hebrew language because now I'm confused. Here's, here's what God said to Isaiah. He said, you're going to start prophesying for me, Isaiah, and people aren't going to listen. You're going to tell people to open up their eyes, and they won't. You're going to tell people to open up their ears, and they won't. You're going to tell people to open up their hearts, and they won't. Does that sound like a job that you want to do? <laughs> Money was like, God, take me, use me, call me God. God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do with your life. And you're like, I don't want to do that. I want people to listen to me. I don't want to be your spokesperson and people ignore me. Now let's read the very end here. Then I said, Lord, how long? <laughs> I love Isaiah's. I just love how he feels in this moment. Because after God tells him, this is what you're going to do. You know, it's not like a very, it's not a very romantic calling, you know? And Isaiah's like, ugh, okay, well, how long I got to do that? This is what he says. And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. Wow. It don't get any better for Isaiah. Isaiah's like, how long do I got to do this? And God says, until all of Judah is taken away into captivity. Man. I mean, talk about doing a job that nobody else wants to do. And listen, I know that's a hard way to end this. And you're like, Pastor, you had me on the vision. You had me on flying low, but I don't want to do that. Listen, that was a very unique calling over Isaiah's life. And uh, I don't know that God would have you prophesy up until this country is wiped off of the face of the earth. I, I, that was a very unique calling that Isaiah had in his life. But I do know this about callings. Callings exist to glorify God, not the called. I'm going to say that again. Callings exist to glorify God, not the person he is calling. And the problem is too many people want the calling because they think with calling is going to come some sort of credibility. 
They think with calling is going to come esteem. They think with calling is going to come influence. Some of that may come. But if the calling doesn't point you back to the one who is doing the calling, you've missed it. You've missed it. And you'll end up doing things that are outside of God's will. And in his mercy, he'll bring you back. You know, I'm reading, um, I'm reading all throughout the book of Isaiah. I'm on this Bible reading plan and I'm trying to read the Bible in about three months. I want to read the whole Bible in three months. I'm kind of like that one year Bible plan. I want to get it done in three months. And so I'm on this plan and, 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 and I was reading in Isaiah where God tells the people through the prophet Isaiah, I want you to do this. You're not going to do this. And then he ends. Let me read it for you because I just, I love the way that he says this. And he says, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. And he repeats that. He said, y'all going to do all this stuff. And trust me, you're going to make God mad, but he'll still be reaching out. And he repeats that multiple times through the prophet Isaiah. And I just thought, why would he still reach out? <laughs> because God is high and lifted up. And when the culture has subscribed to a cancel culture, God is still subscribed to a redemptive culture. He doesn't cancel you because you made a mistake. He redeems you and he redeems the mistakes in your life. He redeems the brokenness of your life. He takes all things that were meant for evil and he turns them for good. So here's what I want you to do, Lighthouse. And I'm going to come back next week and the following week. And I really want to help you with this vision. We're doing this vision thing for the next three weeks. I felt like God said, Josh, we're going to do this vision thing for the next three weeks. I said, okay, God, let's do it. But he led me here to show you that there are some basic ingredients to a godly vision that you have to get things, these things right if you want to have a godly vision for your life. A godly vision begins with knowing that God is seated on the throne. And for some of you that are watching online right now, God is not seated on the throne of your heart. He's competing with a lot of other things right now. And in a moment, we're going to take you to a place where you can pray. And in that prayer, I want you to say, God, I want you to sit on the throne of my heart once again. God, I'm sorry that I've made you compete with other things in my life. I'm sorry that I have taken the eternal things of this world and made them compete with temporary things. I mean, you've called me to make an eternal difference. And here I am being over consumed with things that are going to pass away. And so you've got to acknowledge that God sits on a throne. But beyond that, his throne is high and lifted up. That, that's going to give you the right vision you need for your life. When you acknowledge that not only is God seated on the throne, but that he's high, he's high and lifted up. It takes us to this place where we realize, where we recognize that our lives should be totally dependent on him. If 2020 taught you anything, I hope it taught you the lesson that you need God more than you've ever needed him before. We got into 2021 and I'm going to admit to you right now, I was glued to the television when they were confirming the electoral votes. I was there like biting my nails. I was like, oh Lord, they're storming the Capitol. Oh my God, they're inside the Capitol. Oh my God, I thought this stuff was going to stay in 2020. <laughs> and it came with us into 2021 and I'm like, I thought, you know, 2021 is going to be all good. And I'm watching that. And I just came back to this place and said, you know what, man? I just need God. I just need so much of him. I need him more and more. I need him each and every day. And so my challenge to you is, can I get you to reset your vision? 
And let's first make it a vision where it is focused on him. Come on, let me lead you in a prayer right there where you're at. Father, we thank you for our time together. And I thank you, God, for speaking to us out of your word. God, just as Isaiah had a heavenly vision, help us to have that vision. I believe, Father, that a vision for our life first flows from a proper understanding of who you are. And God, my concern is that there are many in the church that are having to squeeze you into overpacked schedules and having to squeeze you into a day that is filled with too many things and having you compete with many other priorities in our life. And yet we say we want a godly vision and yet we've not put you in your proper place. So today, Father, on this 17th day of January, my prayer is, is that we collectively would put you back on that throne and that we would see that throne high and lift it up once again. When we do that, Father, we know you'll find us in that low place. We, we know you'll find us, Lord God, taking care of the sheep, if you will, taking care of the crops, if you will. Just as you called David and just as you called Gideon and just as you called many other men and women of the Bible in low places, God, I pray that's where you would find us, in, in low places, places of humility, places of serving you, places of humbleness, places, God, where really you find your next general, where you find your next great and mighty person for the kingdom. God, I pray that we would be found there. So in your name, Lord God, help us to center our lives on you. Help us to center our lives on your word. Help us to go back, God. Help us to reset our theology for the Christian that got so consumed with all of the social affairs of 2020 that they neglected the biblical affairs of 2020. I pray, God, that we come back to this book in 2021. I pray that we tend to our relationship with you in 2021. I pray, Father, that we prioritize you over everything in this world and that a godly vision, Father, would one more time fill our homes and fill our lives. In your precious name we pray. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.